You probably already know that stress affects your overall health, but did you know how much and how far it goes even beyond you? Today on the Learning Together podcast series, a conversation on the effects of stress on the body physically and mentally, as well as the secondary effects on the people, our friends and family, that are around those suffering people. We welcome Dr. Lee Johnson Migalski, a licensed clinical psychologist, class of 1994 Trinity, currently working as a staff psychologist at William Middleton VA Medical Center in Rockford, Illinois, and Dr. William Ellison, assistant professor of Trinity's Department of Psychology. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, and this is the Trinity University Learning Together podcast series. Each month, the podcast features faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who've established themselves as experts in their fields. It's all part of the university's lifelong learning initiative designed especially for alumni. All right, so we are talking today about stress and stressors and the ways that people react to and cope with stress. And this is a topic that I, I find really interesting as a professor of psychology and as someone who has a background in clinical psychology, it's just really an interesting topic underlies everything I do, basically. I look forward to talking about it today. Even the stress of doing a podcast, maybe we could even discuss that. Yeah. Yeah. Stress is really everywhere. And this is something that, you know, we all deal with every day, essentially. Even sitting down and doing a podcast for the first time is really an occasion for stress. But, you know, stress and thinking about stress, you know, is, is really kind of newer than some topics in psychology. Uh, and my understanding, I don't know, Lee, if maybe you have a different perspective on this, but from what I know, it's essentially a, a metaphor that comes from kind of engineering and the, uh, the ways that engineers talk about building materials and, and bridges and, and other structures and how much stress they can take from, from events and whether they'll be uh, resilient and durable. And it has a lot of really great parallels to psychology and functioning and right. um, the ways we think about the mind. So, but I mean, just like with a bridge or a, a, a building skyscraper, the stresses that we can come under psychologically are really diverse and run the gamut from really minor stuff, anything really just um, having a worrying thought or, just seeing something momentarily that makes you a little bit uh, upset or or down, uh, all the way up to you know really big life threatening and uh, traumatic events. Um, so it's an extremely kind of broad continuum, and so you know I think it's it's kind of worth keeping that in mind when you think about stress because when we talk about stress in kind of everyday language, in that that kind of distinction or thinking about the full spectrum um, can kind of go missing. Um, yeah. We say things like, oh, I'm so stressed or, um, and of course, I mean, that's, that's kind of a condition of, of modern life. Um, right. And one of the things that's really interesting to me about stress, I'm just kind of getting into didactic professor kind of mode. I, I can't help myself, <laughs> but I, I really, I think that, not only is stress unavoidable, but we wouldn't want to avoid it because it comes packaged with all of the things that 
we do that we care about, you know, things like doing a podcast about mental health and, or, you know, writing a paper, seeing a client, being in a relationship, um, thinking about your health and the well-being of people that you care about, all that comes with stress. Yeah. And so even things we want to do, uh, you know, moving to a bigger house, getting a raise, um, falling in love, those are stressful things. Uh, they put a lot of strain on the system, you know, and it's, um, it's the kind of thing that we wouldn't really want to go without, even if physiologically and psychologically it can kind of be uh, a little bit of a burden. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, and I like the, the metaphor and certainly some of um, the history of the idea of, of building a bridge. Um, my framework, too, comes from um, in regards to being a clinical psychologist in my training as I've studied a lot of Alfred Adler and Adler wrote about stress and trauma. You know, he hung out with Freud and, and Jung and Alfred Adler talked about um, overburdening childhood experiences, which much of the world of psychology often calls adverse childhood experiences now. And, and so this idea of stress and that from a young child, we can experience multiple stresses. And, and I love the idea of that, that there's um, small things and large things. And I would even say good things and bad things that in order for us to, to grow and challenge ourselves, you know, Adler often talked about that, you know, we overcoming something, we can feel really um, encouraged and proud of ourselves. Um, he also spoke about this idea that um, when people face um, stressors as children, that it can be difficult, whether it's like you mentioned trauma of being abused or neglected or this, um, this idea of having a medical difficulty. Um, and he also talked about, I think, a newer stress that people are realizing is he talked about pampering children, this idea of kind of spoiling them. And so we're seeing a lot more in the literature is that if you, if you kind of keep a child from experiencing any difficulties, any stressors in life, it, it, it they don't develop any resiliency. So as humans, we need stress in some ways. It's just then, like you said, how many stressors do we have and do they come piled upon, you know, us? And, and I'm wondering, you know, Bill, when we're thinking about, you know, larger systemic stressors as, as a, a white cisgendered female, you know, my experience of systemic stressors is going to be different than yours. And, and the literature that I've come across with people that are marginalized in society who, for example, don't have white privilege as I do, you know, it, we look at the, the social health outcomes and there's a correlation with experiencing discrimination in African-American people and heart disease. And, and so larger systemic stress, you know, impacts us as well. And so that's something that, you know, I've been looking at a lot lately. And I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about it as well. I think it's really important. And it's um, one of those topics that is so interesting and also um, both really hard to do well 
in, in terms of research because you have to understand kind of what's going on at a, a, a more systemic level. For example, what kind of neighborhood are you in and what kind of resources do you generally or, or kind of chronically have or not have? Uh, and then there are these sort of um, the moment-to-moment experiences that people have and, and also their family setup. Because I think some of the research that I've read um, shows that you know having a, a really a good family relationship can, um, in, in some ways, can protect against some of those broader, say, neighborhood level experiences. And so uh, African-American women, for example, who uh, experience a lot of uh, discrimination in their neighborhoods, they are at risk for adverse outcomes for, as you say, heart disease and other negative consequences. But if they have a really good uh, family relationship, if they have supports, that can go a long way towards kind of helping them cope. Um, but yeah, and th- so it's it's really hard to get at all those things and how those different layers interact. Right. But it's also a case where I think psychology is just, uh, because I think psychology historically has been done by um, uh, white people, and, and as you say, cisgendered people, and I'm a white cisgendered male. So I've, I do have a, a very different perspective on this, but it, we historically have not been as interested as we maybe uh, should be in, in the complex workings of all of that. So, right. Right. Um, However, it's so great, like you said, about the fact that there's these intermediate, you know, and, and variables like families, and so all is not lost. And so if we can help people to continue to tap in to those factors that help them be resilient. So as you as you talked about families and, you know, and so when I've often worked with um, African-American families, I'll help them have the conversation about how do you how do you talk to your children about, you know, discrimination and handle that stress? And we know that when families have those kinds of conversations that 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 then it helps uh, the children navigate the world, you know, in a better way. And so the, the great news is that there are so many variables and there are ways to help build that build that resiliency. Right. So, and, yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, there's a role for for clinicians and and people who can intervene on an individual level mm-hmm. um, in addition to making kind of broader changes that we might hope uh, would happen to to make whole neighborhoods and and cultures kind of less um, marginalized and right. um, sort of have access to, to more of the privileges that that um, people in majority groups enjoy so that's one way so in that particular case intervening with families say african-american families to get a perspective on discrimination and how to cope with it and teaching the next generation that kind of thing i'm wondering like more broadly and maybe in your work or just in general um what you might do uh what you might help people learn to cope with stressors to get past the inevitability of of what's gonna come down the road yeah i think that's that's certainly a good question in regards to how do you help people with stressors? And um, and I think part of the work that I do, and maybe this is also um, something that 
uh, you teach about in the work that you do is helping people with their perception. And um, a couple minutes ago, you talked about when we kind of talk about how we're self-stressed, then then it becomes this this narrative or um, a self-fulfilling prophecy, oh, that I'm going to be so stressed. So one way that we navigate the concrete stressor is that how are we making meaning of this stress? How are we navigating the stress? Are they are we becoming stressed about the stress? And so um, so I'll often talk to clients um, about that. And I'm often curious about their different ways that they've coped with stress. You know, do they find they have adaptive ways? Are they using the stress? You know, um, when we're nervous and physiologically our bodies respond and we become more alert, that can be really useful. But to sustain that, that can be hard in the long run, you know. And so uh, I talk to clients about their different ways. And, um, you know, sometimes we'll joke about are they doing retail therapy, right? Are they <laughs> are they shopping, you know? And um, some, some, a little bit of that, you know, can be good. Too much, of course, then creates more stress. And so sometimes we'll talk about the cycles, about how are they coping and how are they compensating? Is it making life worse for them in some ways? What about you? Well, I, that that's interesting, that sort of idea of... of uh, shopping or doing other things like that to to get away from stress, and that's um, I mean, one of the things that I often teach about. And, and you know, back when I was um, doing a lot of clinical work uh, as a postdoc and intern, we would kind of uh, talk about um, avoidant ways of coping with stress, and, and shopping is a big example. Sort of doing anything to get yourself out of that experience, and and um, get away from it. And, and as you mentioned, um, there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, and even kind of trying to minimize the stress feeling itself and, and to worry about it can be a way of avoiding it in some ways, instead of actively coping with the thing that is stressing you. Um, and as you say, you know, it, it kind of becomes a chronic, uh, stressor, um, that can be, um, you know, pretty tough to break out of. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm really interested about with stress is uh, the resilience of um, our minds and bodies about uh, what we do when it comes on. And you know, if you if you have a lot of chronic stress, or if you have um, maybe a traumatic experience that you then become very uh, vigilant about and you kind of are always on edge about avoiding the next thing, it can really derail your body's ability to cope with things that come along. You know, one of the things we look at physiologically in the response to stress are things like heart rate variability and kind of the flexibility of your body system. When, when something comes along, you want to be, you know, kind of responding uh, quickly and then getting back to the baseline pretty quickly. And if you're always on on the lookout for the next thing that comes, you're going to be at sort of a, an elevated stress level the whole time, and you're not going to be able to really uh, cope with the, th the next thing. Right. Uh, and, and that avoidant coping is a um, 
it kind of reduces your momentary stress, but it keeps you at a chronic level where you're like, oh, I just went and I bought a bunch of stuff, but this thing is still bothering me. I didn't take care of it. And now it's still there. This kind of keeps festering. It doesn't really go away. So, yeah. It makes me think of um, John Gottman's research that um, about couples and the idea that all couples have at least 10 things that they'll argue about. And, and so part of the secret Gottman says it's not that to avoid conflict, but how do couples navigate conflict? And, um, and John Gottman, I love the idea that, you know, um, they had the love lab and they hooked all the clients up to all the, the physiological, you know, equipment. And so when you mentioned heart rate, it made me think of the research about when couples fight you know, if they get above that, I think it's 98 beats per minute, that they're no longer thinking rationally. And so the stress of the conflict prevents them from from functioning and having an efficient and effective fight. Right. (laughs) And and so it you know that when we look at stress and the the impact of the body, um, you know, part of the work as well is helping clients recognize, is this a really good time to resolve this, you know, situation? And, and our bodies kind of are revved up because they're thinking we're, we're under attack, right? So we're going to escape or we're going to stand and fight. And so, um, so uh, it made me think of John Gottman's work and you were, when you were talking about that. And what's fascinating with couples is that, one thing will be stressful for one partner, right? But then, you know, like the toothpaste is tube is not done correctly, right? And the other partner is not stressed about it at all, right? And so it's it's about, you know, their perception. But then those small fights will build and how does it impact the rest of their of their relationship? Right. Yeah, that that kind of couples work is really uh interesting, especially kind of romantic partners and, and how, um, you know, the, the bond between two people, um, you know, even if they get into those fights, um, and they really fight frequently, or, uh, if one partner is really stressed about something, ideally, you know, they have the kind of relationship dynamic where the other partner can, help them cope with it, even just being there and, and holding their hand or uh, kind of um, helping them take solace in the relationship, I think is, is really important. If they're fighting, then, I mean, I agree, it, it takes a lot of practice to kind of learn when it's not going to be productive to, to hash it out right then yeah, um, and to kind of take a breather and, and come back to it later. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, President of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series, brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development, and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to the conversation between Dr. Johnson-Migalski 
and Dr. Ellison. I, I, I was just doing some reading too, just casually, I guess, about um, some of the ways that the current pandemic has uh, influenced the, the stress environment and uh, people's relationships. Now, of course, we're we're recording this remotely, and I um, I'm um, pretty much alone in my house and uh, where I've been for the last year and a half. And um, but um, we are part of a society and we do interact with people psychologically, certainly all the time, even over Zoom. So um, that's really uh, sort of an interesting wrinkle. And this, uh, this one a research paper I was just reading was talking about uh, the impact of the pandemic on stress and the ways that people coped either actively or not um, with the stress of trying to avoid getting sick and and dealing with shutdowns and mask mandates and all the different ways that we've grown accustomed to living in the past year and a half or so. And this this article was tracking um, how people were coping with pandemic-related stress and then looking at how effective that coping was on their actual stress and then the kind of knock-on effects uh, of their coping and of their behavior on people around them. And it was fascinating. They were saying that um, the more effectively people were coping with stress related to getting sick, the better they felt. But in many cases, they started to relax some of those behaviors that they had been doing um, things like wearing masks and uh, washing their hands and um, doing sort of physical hygiene related things, um, which could then actually put others at risk. So it was kind of a, a complex dynamic, almost kind of a, um, a counterintuitive finding that the better they were coping with the stress, um, the riskier their behavior became. Um, which is, of course, not to say that we need to be, you know, kind of hyper vigilant and um, incredibly anxious about all of it um, all the time, but uh, it can kind of have some complex effects down the line. I I'm wondering if you, you know, in your practice, how that's been playing out and how you've been kind of navigating the stress of all of this. Oh, that, that's really fascinating to, to hear that. So as I was listening to your um, summary of that research was trying to make sense. So I guess people are feeling more confident. And so then because they're less stressed and less anxious, then they, they're they no longer feeling like as much of a threat, maybe. Um, in regards to my clinical work, working with, um, with veterans, uh, you know, uh, they, they have a different perspective, the, particularly the ones of combat, you know, and so they've faced things that um, have been extremely stressful and, uh, and can be very real and visceral. So, so some of them, um, you know, you know, have different reactions because again, their, their perspective of, of what's really life and death is different compared to the, I think at least those of us, like I've not faced 
military life or death situations than than my own. Um, I have seen though that the um, and I've read some of the research and it's played out that personality ways wise that my more extroverted clients have been struggling with the isolation a lot compared to um, my more introverted clients that you know are quite comfortable being alone, having those few friends, not dealing with the frenziness of humongous social situations. So I'm a big believer too in uh, in personality as well. And so in and navigating the pandemic has has influenced um, you know certain people. What do you think about you know the interaction of of personality? I know that you publish a lot on uh, borderline personality disorder because of course one of my coping mechanisms before I'm going to do a podcast with the current professors I need to read up on you know <laughs> what is my colleague knowledgeable about? That's how I cope with stressful situations, I over-prepare. So, so what are your thoughts about personality and stress or, um, or any of those topics? I think it's um, profoundly important. I, it's, it's obviously a big interest of mine. And, um, and I'm, I'm really in the latter camp uh, of, of veterans. I'm, I'm with the introverts and I'm somebody who um, has really uh, I wouldn't say I've thrived, but I've been very comfortable um, being more isolated than usual and and kind of not being in those what is for me very stressful situations of being in a crowd, even even giving a lecture or being in a group of twenty students um, in my Trinity classroom, um, that is somewhat stressful for me because mm-hmm. uh, I'm more of an introvert by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's really been interesting to see how, and my you know some some neighbors of mine that I know very well, and other people I know, the the big extroverts are going stir crazy, um, yeah. and are very stressed by the isolation, um, and uh, so it's it's very interesting um, how it's played out. I guess what is for me kind of a, a very predictable way along that that dimension, right. I think um, I, I haven't been doing any clinical work um, during the pandemic, so it's uh, that is uh, something I imagine would be quite different. Trying to get used to that, both as a, a client and as a therapist, I would think yeah. would be sort of yeah. a, a very different experience. Yeah, I think even the stress of navigating technology has made um, clinical work, you know, more uh, more just adds a different layer. Um, so on one level, you know, you're trying to figure out how to be with clients in a new way, just like how everyone is trying to figure out how to be with friends and family over phone calls or zoom. And so it's, um, it's been a, an added layer of how do you support, you know, clients in this time. Um, a lot of my veterans, I, I have one that are really adept at technology and the VA has been an innovator and leader in VA, I'm sorry, video work for, you know, 30 odd years. And so um, once the veterans get, you know, some support that 
The younger ones that might be more adept at psychology, technology, excuse me, they just take off. But I, I like one of my veterans, um, I won't say specifically, you know, for HIPAA, but over 65-ish, um, not real knowledgeable about technology. So we do phone sessions, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I have veterans that I've had very, you know, um, intimate conversations with that I've never seen ever, you know. And uh, but, you know, I think good clinical work is done. But navigating the stress with the pandemic of how do you, you know, how do you do something differently? So I think clinically, I'm always trying to help my clients remember what has helped them prepare for other situations and that how do we help you apply this now, you know? Sure. Well, Bill, it was so nice to talk to you um, about stress and, and find out, you know, the latest innovative ideas that Trinity professors are are exploring. And I really appreciated sharing all of my clinical knowledge as a psychologist at the VA and a former professor for many years. Um, Before I leave, I just wanted to share the crisis line number if there's any veterans out there that need some help because stress, you know, is common and that many of us can get some extra guidance and coaching. So the veterans crisis line number is 1-800-273-8255 and then you just press extension 1 and someone will be on the line to help you. Thank you today for all of this discussion. And it was a pleasure for me too. Thank you, uh, Dr. Lee, and um, it was nice to meet you. And uh, as a first podcast, I'd say this was uh, not quite as stressful as I had feared, but uh, it was very enjoyable. So I, I really appreciated the chance to talk with you. Yeah, I'm so glad that Trinity's doing this. This is such a, a fun thing as an alum and um, as a current parent uh, you know, of a 10-year-old. I hope that other parents and alums get to enjoy it as well. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.